0: Thank you for downloading the following message from the Pickerington Church of Christ. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you walk with the Lord. For more information or to find additional resources, locate us on the web at pickeringtonchurch.org. Enjoy the message. We've made it through Isaiah 53, 54, and 55. And if I were to point you to a section of Scripture in the Old Testament to give you a centerpiece, a foundation on which all of Christianity stands and then grows out from, it would be Isaiah 53, 54, and 55. That is the center, the apex of Christianity. We see in that section of Scripture, which we've covered the last three weeks, the action of the gospel. We see a Savior in chapter 53 coming to earth to substitute His righteous self for our unrighteousness and becoming our Savior and leading us back to a relationship with our Father. We see in chapter 54 that the gospel has a massive effect on us when we understand it, that grace is the agent that changes you from the inside out. It makes you, from your head to your heart to your hands, a different person. And we saw last week in chapter 55 that this gospel, this great news that Jesus Christ did for you what you could not do, this grace that changes you from the inside out is inviting all people, wherever you come from, whatever you've done, all may come to this fountain and drink freely of this water. But Isaiah has more to say after this and it's um, meaningful uh, for us to see this in fact he's got 10 more chapters after that center passage of christianity and what you're going to see is that this is actually really important because just like when somebody comes to the center of christianity hears the gospel responds to the gospel and is converted there still is a lot more to say to that person the end goal of our preaching and teaching is not just conversion to Christ but conversion to become like Christ there's a lot more to say after the waters of baptism and what you're going to hear is going to sound a lot like what Isaiah has already said before and that is a common thing that you'll see in Christianity that although you have become a Christian the message is very similar that you have to continue to hear before Christ and after Christ Isaiah's message is going to sound very, very similar as you heard in the first five verses. Isaiah 58 is all about living the kind of life that God created us to live from the very beginning, the kind of life that sin has messed up, and the kind of life that the Savior has come to save us from and save us to. Jesus came not just to change the conclusion of your life, But the content of your life, the way you live. And to ensure we do this, we've got to get into this message. And now, this chapter is actually very, very simple. Now, some of the language and the way this changed, I'm going to walk you through because sometimes it's God talking and sometimes Isaiah is speaking for the people that God is rebuking. And so we'll have to make sure we make sense of it. But the message you're going to find out is really, really simple, but it's hard to swallow. So, gird up some courage here. Get ready, because this is important. The first thing we got to look at is we've got an old problem. As I mentioned before, Isaiah's message in chapter 58 sounds a lot like Isaiah's message in chapter 1 and chapter 2. The problem for the nation of Israel has not changed, although the people have changed. Sometimes we like to think that new people have new problems and new generations have new issues, The spoiler alert is this. Solomon told us there's nothing new under the sun. The problems that your great-grandparents faced, you face. Maybe it's got different skin on it, new technology, different look. But the problems that people have faced throughout all of their lives is the problem that you and I face. And the challenge that you face today as a believer are some of the very same challenges that you faced before you became a believer that you've got to keep Fighting through some of those things. The Hebrew writer said it this when we need to lay aside the sin that so easily ensnares us and keep running with endurance the race set before us, he's saying, You got to keep laying aside that sin that wants to grab hold of you. And so Isaiah does something for us. Even though this is a different group of people, the last part of Isaiah's book is actually writing to future exiles who are going to come back to Jerusalem and rebuild the city. He says, you still have the same problem. And so with this problem, Isaiah has to do a few things. The first of all, with our problem, it must be confronted. Look in verse one, Isaiah says it very boldly. God is telling Isaiah, cry aloud, do not hold back, lift up your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob, their sins. He's saying, I want you to lift up your voice. I want you to make it clear, make it known. Do not, because you are now being brought back or saved to the nation of Israel, do not forget that you still need to fight against your sin. Christian, just because you now are a Christian, don't let go of the fight that is now in front of you. Satan wants to attack you even more now that you're a believer. And so here we have Isaiah telling us, God telling Isaiah, pardon me, confront this sin like a trumpet blow forth so that they can know this the warning is necessary because we are feeble the second thing he does with our problem is not just confront it but he also exposes the problem it does no good for you to just recognize yes I'm a sinner saved by the grace of God because of Jesus that's a good starting point that's a good premise But unless we get into actually exposing what our sin is, we really will never change. And so Isaiah doesn't just say, declare to these people they've got problems, they've got sin, what's wrong with them? He actually gets into it in verses 2 and verse 3, and it's strange to hear this description. Now listen very carefully to verse 2, how God describes the people he's got a problem with. Listen carefully. They seek me daily. They delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Now pause for a minute. Does that sound strange? That's a kind of a strange description of a group of people that God is about to confront with their sin, right? Right? He's about to expose them. He says, they seek after me. He says that they delight to draw near to me. But here in verse 3, you're going to see their problem. This is why it's so important, especially for us that are here today, who are in the faith, who might be religious, who might practice their Christianity. It's essential for us to stay sharp to this reality. He says in verse 3, even though they seek me daily, and even though they delight to draw near to me, there's there's a problem That's inside of them. Verse 3. Here's what they say. Now this is the Israelites who God is chastising. Here's what they say. Why have we fasted, God? And you don't see it. Why have we humbled ourselves? That means afflicted or punished ourselves. And you take no knowledge of it, God. And here's what God says in verse 3. Behold, in the day of your fast you seek your own business. And the day that you humble yourself and oppress yourself, he says, you're doing this just so your voice will be heard, just so you can get something from me. You're practicing your Christianity for us. You're practicing your faith. You're doing these rituals, but you have zero interest in right living. He's saying, you do all of these things just to get something from me. On the outside, they look religious, but on the inside, they are not actually changed. Because they're still completely self-interested. You know, that's the center of sin, right? That, that's, that's really what sin is. Sin takes on various forms and looks at a lot of different behaviors. But at the core, the center of sin is literally just obsessive self-interest. You lie to preserve yourself. You steal for yourself. You manipulate and you deceive. You do those things for yourself. An exalting self-interest over the respect and reverence of God and the goodness of other people is really what sin is. And he's saying here, listen, you've put on religious skin. You draw near to me. You pray to me. You read your Bible. But you're doing that still for self-interest. And it may be religious, but it's no different than what you were before. That's the problem. Here's the test. If you want to really be serious about this as a Christian today, here's your test Does your Monday look like your Sunday? Does your Monday have similar characteristics for you as your Sunday does? Meaning we come here today and we show reverence towards God. We have gratitude. As Harold led us in prayer, I really appreciate the seriousness by which he brings to our minds that we are before the living God and we have reverence before him. And as we're here today and we take communion, maybe we have a flood of peacefulness because we remember how much we're loved and cared for by God. As we're here today, we have a humility because we know we need God and we need his love and his grace. Does your Monday look the same as your Sunday Monday is the acid test for your Christianity Tuesday and Wednesday Does Sunday produce being here today does it does it produce in you a passion for right living or does Sunday give you permission for wrong living do you see the difference Does being here today and connecting with God and connecting with believers stir up in you a desire to go out into the world Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday and live right and serve and care for people or does being here on Sunday give you the permission that you're seeking to go out and live however you want on Monday? Is this penance or is this real piety? Do you see the difference? And Christians, we got to take this serious. Believers, we got to really hold ourselves accountable to this. So Isaiah confronts our problem, he exposes our problem, and he tells us this problem has got to be rejected. we got to get rid of it. He says in verse 4, verse four Behold, you're, you fast only to quarrel and fight and to hit with a wicked fist, meaning you are awful bosses to the people that work for you. You are awful friends to those who are around you. He says, Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice be heard on high. Is this really what I want? God is saying, get rid of it. If this is all a show to appease your conscience so that you can live however you want on Monday, he's saying, it doesn't work. It's not going to work. And that's why we see in verse six that there's a different way, a new way to live. Following these messages of chapter 53, 54, and 55, of the gospel meaning here's what god is going to do to save you isaiah is saying to these people who are going to return from exile i want you to live differently i've got a new way for you to live and us some 2700 years later after isaiah on this side of the cross who have looked at jesus and seen the gift that he's brought to us through um, through our salvation can now see that he is calling us to a new way to live grace calls us to a life of faithfulness fruitfulness, and holiness. But here's something important about this new way of living. And I say this because in our modern culture, this has really taken over. Somewhere along the lines in our culture, we started to believe that faith was ultimately a private thing. And so your job was to keep your faith really private. We don't talk about it. We don't act upon it. We keep it secret. We keep it quiet. And we go into the uh, confines of our home and we whisper to ourselves about our faith. But when we move out into public, our faith is not to be seen there. Never do you see a distinction in Scripture about a private faith versus public fruit. You just don't see that. Isaiah is saying here there is one key. We are called to a private life of faith and holiness which produces a public life of righteousness and justice. That what we do with our hands in this world matters because it's our hearts and our minds that have changed. He says in Ephesians 2 verse 10 that after he says you've been saved by grace, he says you were created in Christ Jesus for good works. Titus 2 tells us in verse 11, the grace of God has appeared so that we would reject that which is evil, but... So that Christ would create for himself a group of people zealous for good. Your life is not defined just by what you don't do, but by what you do. That we are not called just to avoid missteps, but to step into service and love and care. In Matthew 5, he tells us that the people of God are called to always be a light to a world, a city on a hill. That's why Israel was chosen. It wasn't chosen because they were mighty or great or more lovely than anybody else. God chose Israel as his people to declare to the world who he is. Today, the church is the new Israel. We are the people of God, and we are called to be the city on a hill, a light in the world, so that when people look at us and see how we relate to God, reverence and respect, honor and submission how we relate to each other patience and endurance and love and mercy and unity and how we relate to outsiders is a reflection of who God is and the world to come that we're going to live in that's what we're supposed to be okay and he says those people it matters how you relate to God it matters how you relate to each other and it matters how we relate to the stranger, yes, even the outsider, those who are different than us and those that are not like us. You see, you and I, as we see in God telling us, are called constantly to serve and care for not just God in His sense, and not just each other, but all people. We've been called to do this. Outsiders, those different than us. This principle is seen throughout all of God's laws. When God, drew, when God, through Moses, brought the nation of Israel out of Egypt, out of their slavery, he was setting them up as a people of his, and he gave them a law. He's saying, here, here's my law. Here's how I want you to live. And over and over through the book of Exodus and through the book of Deuteronomy, which is in the Old Testament, where you can read about the law of God, how he wanted his nation to live, over and over he says this one theme. Because you were once a stranger, a slave in Egypt... Make sure you treat the stranger, the less fortunate, this way. And so he would tell them, for instance, to love and to let the stranger be part of them. You know, a stranger could actually come and be circumcised and journey with them. They could do that. He says, you business owners, you landowners, when you leave a sheath out in the field, leave it there because the fatherless or the widow might need it. When you shake down your olive tree and you get your olives, don't go back a second time. He says, leave the extra in Deuteronomy 24. Because that's for the poor and the needy. He says, when you gather your grapes, don't go back and strip the vine empty. Leave that for the fatherless, the widow, the poor. Over and over he's saying that, and he says, the refrain is because you once were the needy, the fatherless, the stranger, the slave. Don't ever forget that. And as that translates to us as believers, we once were the homeless, the needy, the suffering, That's who we were. That's our heritage. And so he calls us to live a new way. You and I have been called to live a new way. The first way we're called to live is to be drawn in to suffering. Look in verse 7 of chapter um, 58. In verse 6, God says, This is the fast that I want you to do. To loose the bonds of the wickedness. To undo the straps of the yoke. To let the oppressed go free. And to break every yoke. Here's verse 7. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? Bring the homeless poor into your house. When you see the naked, to cover him. Now listen to the end of verse 7. Here's the key phrase, okay? You get it. Hungry, homeless, naked. People in need that need to be cared for. Now listen to verse 7, the end of it and not to hide yourself from your own flesh. This language mirrors what Adam said when God brought him Eve and he said, this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Adam looked at her and said, you're of me. You're from me. And here's what Isaiah's hearkening back to. He's saying, I want you to feed the hungry, house the homeless, clothe the naked because don't hide yourself because they're one of you. They are your own flesh. The great temptation of Christianity, the great temptation of any religion, is to practice religion at a safe distance from suffering. To see suffering and go, I'm glad I've escaped that. Thank you, God, for making sure I didn't fall into poverty or homelessness or difficulty. Whew. I'm glad God keep it coming because I want to be comfortable. The danger is to practice religion at a distance from suffering. You and I have been called to move forward into suffering. Regardless of how people got there. So Christians should not have in their vocabulary, I would never do dot, dot, dot. Or I would never be in that dot, dot, dot position. That should not be in our vocabulary. By the grace of God, I am not in those positions. Only by grace. Left to myself, the trajectory I was on, and I am no unique case Homeless, naked, destitute, poor, whatever. Not, if not for the grace of God. You and I have, should not have in our vocabulary. I would never, I would not. How can this be? Ever. He's saying over and over, don't you forget it's grace. Okay? So regardless of how they got there, we should serve. And regardless of how they look, on the scale or the spectrum from ebony to ivory, wherever you fall in pigment blessing, You get it? Whatever color you are. Regardless, he says that is your flesh. I'm going to leave the lawmaking to the lawmakers, but I'm going to tell you this. Every human being shares my blood and your blood. And we can solve other problems. They can litigate that stuff. They can deal with that stuff in different places. But I know this as the people of God in the kingdom of God. Every person deserves to be served, cared for, and loved. Because you and I once were refugees, strangers, slaves, foreigners, alienated from the promise of God and his kingdom. And we are called to be drawn into suffering, but we're also called to be poured out for solutions. Look in verse 10. He says down in verse 10, that if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted then your light shall rise in darkness and the gloom and your gloom be as the moon, as the noonday pardon me poured out for solutions the key phrase there is poured out that means literally to give of yourself yes your resources you have time you have money you have energy your resources but he's saying we need to pour ourselves out for solutions now why do i say solutions at the end of verse 10 he says this that you are called to satisfy the desire of the afflicted. Now, let's make sure we know what that means. This means that you are not always to give everybody what they want, right? (laughs) Sometimes my kids want things and it's not really what they desire. They just don't know how to articulate what they desire. They think they want things. They're a little misguided, confused. They think they have answers that they don't know. But you and I are called to be so involved that we can have the nuance and discernment to know what really people need. That's why we can't just throw money at problems. You've got to get in and be involved in this. The hungry need food, yes, but they also need fellowship. The naked need clothing, but they also need comfort. The homeless need a bed, but they also need a buddy. You have to put yourself into this so that we can actually bring about solutions. Listen, if our Christianity, however sincere it may be, does not move us, To make the world we live in a better place, not only is it unhelpful to people, it's unacceptable to God. James 1.27 says, Only religion he knows that's undefiled is the kind of religion that visits and cares for the orphans and the widows. Meaning this, that we move into helping those that need help. That's the only undefiled religion that he knows. But let me tell you the blessing because I know we need motivated too. He tells you some blessings there in verses 6 and 7, down into verse 8. He says, "The light, Then your light will break forth like the dawn. Your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness, if we do this, shall go before us, and the glory of God will protect us from the backside. He says, Then you shall call, remember he just said, when you fast for your own purposes and you call I don't listen but listen when you pour yourself out and you're drawn into people's suffering and you serve verse 9 then you shall call and the Lord will answer you will cry and he will say here I am you see one of the blessings we receive by this is that you and I get more power and more presence He says we're gonna get more power we're gonna find strength in serving in fact you'll find out that when you pour yourself out and serve others it brings energy and life back to you it's just like exercise where when you're in the midst of exercising you might be tired you might be sore you might get fatigued but it's actually the thing that gives your body more strength serving is the same way it's spiritual exercise but he also says we get more presence you find more of God in the serving of people who are suffering. Do you remember in Matthew 25, Jesus told the story about the end times. He said, I'll return and I'll separate the right from the left, the sheep and the goats. And the distinguishing factor was this. He said, I was naked and you didn't feed me. Or pardon me, how does that go? Hungry, didn't feed me. Naked, didn't clothe me. You know how it goes, right? I I needed some stuff and you gave me the stuff I needed. And here's what those who are unrighteous said. He goes, Lord, when did we see you? We never saw you. He says, what you've done to the least of these, you've done to finish it. Me. If we're not reaching out into places that need served to serve and care for people, you're missing part of God. There's more of him available. But he says, we also get a new life and a new identity. Some of you are hungry to be known by something different. Some of you coming out of lives that you just cannot believe you've lived in. Some of you might actually need a new life and not know it yet. But when you learn to serve and to pour yourself out in a selfless way, look what he says in verse 10. If you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then, you're, then shall your light rise in the darkness. He says, and your gloom will be as the noonday. What he's literally saying is, you will stop being so sad. Did you know that? You might be able to fight a little bit of this depression by actually getting out of yourself and serving somebody. Did you know obsessing over you makes depression worse? Obsessing over you makes anxiety worse? Obsessing over yourself makes your fears worse? Pulling out of yourself and turning your eyes outward might actually turn your gloom into a noon day. Listen to verse 11. The Lord will guide you continually. Satisfy your desires in scorched places. Make your bones strong. And you will be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins, now this is metaphor, your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. And you shall rise up the foundation of many generations, meaning even if your great-great-grandfather passed down a shameful name all the way down to you, for many generations you can repair that. You shall be called the repairer of the breach and the restorer of the streets to dwell in. Yes, you will if you learn to pour yourself out, get the deepest purpose you're longing for and a whole new life to be known for. A new life and a new identity. But you and I have lastly a decision to make. He says in verse 13 and 14 that we've got to do something with what he calls the Sabbath. Now he changes ritual. He was talking about fasting. And he says, this fast doesn't work, but this one does. Now he moves to the Sabbath because the Sabbath is about the rest of God. And he says, if you turn back, verse 13, your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your business on my holy day, meaning using the rituals of God to get what you want, if you turn away from that, and look what he says in the middle of verse 13. And you call the Sabbath a delight. And the holy day of the Lord honorable. If you honor it, not going your own way or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. You and I have a decision to make. We must decide what will govern our life. We will either guard our life, govern our life with momentary comfort or eternal conviction. What's it going to be? You've got to make this decision. You know, so much is said about you and me finding our life, discovering ourselves, finding our purpose. Our culture is kind of obsessed with this. Unfortunately, the philosophy of today has the wrong idea. It tells you that if you make the world about you, if you make yourself the sun and everybody else the planets and they orbit around you, you will be happy, you'll have purpose, you'll have joy, that if you make your life about you, you'll find your life. But the great paradox of God is this, that when you lose yourself, you find your life. When you die to yourself, you find yourself. And when you tap into service, you tap into joy. How do we know this is true? It was proven in the man Jesus Christ. Nobody was more selfless than him. Nobody served a greater role than he served. He laid down every self centered fiber of human existence and in doing so he received the fullness of his joy hebrews tells us for the joy that was set before him he endured the cross despised the shame and now he's sit down at the right hand of god what was his joy you know it's you he knew by being selfless and servant-minded he would get you the fullness of his joy It's pretty cool, isn't it? Boy, let's learn to be selfless by his love and maybe we'll find life and joy. If you have a need, you can come as we stand and sing.